it like it's really I mean it can be great to be outspoken about your interests and that those can form part of your identity but I really do think that it can then form like an identity cage is the way that I think of it that I felt really static I felt like I couldn't grow I felt like then it became really impostery right that I'm like I don't really love running anymore but I'm still doing it because if I don't do it then I'm not gonna be able to make money and it just wound up feeling really icky fill in the blank I wish I could just get paid to blank. Maybe you said make art, have great conversations, or maybe write books. Maybe you dream of being able to focus on world peace, doing sketch comedy, or telling stories about the world's great philosophers. Plenty of creative, passionate business owners have the work they wish they could focus on and the work that pays the bills. The result tends to be a business model that's a bit fractured and unwieldy. You end up doing a bunch of little things to make it all add up at the end of the month. What if you could clean it all up and just focus on the thing you love the most? You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's working and what's not in small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, today's guest, Nicole Antoinette, faced a similar dilemma. Nicole is the host of Real Talk Radio, a podcast that digs deep into the lives of athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, and activists. Four years into finding an opportunity to coach people who wanted a similar lifestyle to hers, she decided to make a big change. Nicole decided to do away with coaching and digital products and just get paid to have fascinating, honest conversations with people living fulfilling lives. To do it, She used Patreon, a platform that allows creators like Nicole to create a community-funded business model. Nicole and I talk about how she arrived at the idea for the podcast, what she did to ensure the longevity of the project once it took off, and why she chose a community-funded business model. We also talk about how she structures the pricing, rewards, and growth of her Patreon community. Have you discovered a way to get paid to just create? I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Instagram. I'm at Tara underscore McMullen, and let me know how you did it. Now, let's find out what works for Nicole Antoinette. Nicole Antoinette, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I am excited to be here. Yeah, and I am excited as well because we are talking about something we have literally never talked about on the podcast before, which is Patreon. And We're going to get there in just a moment, but I think that we need to set the stage a little bit because you have a pretty different business uh, than a lot of the folks that we have on. Um, And that's one of the reasons I think the Patreon works for you. And I would almost classify your business as sort of like an honest-to-God lifestyle business, as in your lifestyle, your personal pursuits, your curiosities. They really are your business. Um, You are creating a life that people are invested in through your podcast, through your Instagram, and just through the community that you're building. So can you just kind of uh, let us know how you're currently spending your time, what you're personally pursuing right now, and how you're kind of building out that life that you call yours? Yeah, I'm really glad that this is your first question because I think there's an interesting 
maybe misconception with, you know, what a lifestyle business is. I mean, I guess it could be lots of different things, but something that I would love to talk about a little bit and maybe clear up because this idea of, you know, your life as your business was actually a huge part of the last like four or five years for me, career transition wise. So I feel like I definitely have a highly personal brand. I share a lot of intimate details about my real life and real, you know, in real time. And I do have a community of folks who are interested for sure in my personal pursuits, but there's definitely a separation between that and the business. So if you're open to it, I'd love to share a little bit more about that. Please. I would love to hear about that. Yeah. So going back in time a little bit, um, I started blogging um, in July of 2007, which in internet years feels like a very long time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've been sharing my life on the internet for basically my entire adult life. Um, But it was a personal blog. It was a hobby. You know, writing and sharing personal stories is always something that I have valued and gotten a lot of, you know, personal joy out of. And it's basically the way that I've met most of the folks that are important to me in my life. (laughs) I've come through the internet. And so that personal blog was really just a way for me to, yeah, like I said, share my life. And my lifestyle was really different back then, 2007, 2008, 9, 10. I was a big drinker. I was a pretty public party girl. And so a lot of my persona, I guess, how people saw me was as this kind of life of the party, you know, hosts the cocktail gatherings, that type of thing. Um, And in 2011, I quit drinking. And that was, it was pretty abrupt. You know, thinking about quitting drinking wasn't really something that I had shared publicly. That had been, you know, a private decision that I had come to. And so when I shared it publicly, I think it came out of nowhere for a lot of folks. Mm. Um, And for me, I quit drinking and started running literally on the same day, May 1st, 2011. And I had never been athletic. I had never been outdoorsy. You know, I was a real indoor kid. I could barely run for two minutes at a time when I first started. Like I was really, really a beginner. And so it was essentially this, you know, one day that kind of cleaved my life in half, right? The not to lay too heavily into the before and after story, because I think we are who we are, but lifestyle-wise, it was a significant change. And as I went through those changes really publicly, I got a lot of questions from folks who either saw themselves reflected in my story or had also really struggled with changing habits and really were looking for advice. And I started getting more and more questions. And then I started getting more of the same types of questions. And sort of organically on the heels of that, I wound up transitioning into, I guess, what I would think of as a, if I can do it, you can too, type of accountability coaching business. Um, You know, I partnered with my running coach and we created a program for true beginners who want to run their first half marathon, right? Like really working in the beginner space. And it was awesome. And I loved it. And I did that type of stuff for a few years. Um, And what I found that I loved most was having honest conversations with people about their real lives. That was always kind of the sweet spot for me and getting to have that oh my gosh, me too moment, right? That comes when you realize that you aren't alone and how you're feeling or what you're struggling with, whether that's related to running or sobriety or just lifestyle changes in general. But as the years went on, I really started to feel boxed in to that lifestyle because my business and my livelihood were so tied into my mm. personal pursuits. Like I'm using running as an example, but there were other things too. I really had this fear that if I stop running, I'll lose this dimension of my business because I couldn't imagine stopping running and then still working from a place of teaching other people how to do it. I know it's possible. You don't have to do the thing to teach the thing, but it was really heavily intertwined for me. Um, 
And that's actually exactly what happened. I ran really seriously for four years. But for me, I mean, running was really a way out of the hole with drinking. So, you know, I it was more complicated than maybe it was for other folks. And I found that I wanted to take a break from it and pursue some other interests. And my sobriety had gotten really strong and I didn't need running anymore um, in the same way that I did. And I felt really trapped. I felt like this identity that I had created for myself going from like a capital P party girl to like a capital, you know, R runner (laughs) girl. It like it's really I mean, it can be great to be outspoken about your interests and that those can form part of your identity. But I really do think that it can then form like an identity cage is the way that I think of it, that I felt really static. I felt like I couldn't grow. I felt like, you know, then it became really impostery, right? That I'm like, I don't really love running anymore, but I'm still doing it because if I don't do it, then I'm not going to be able to make money. And it just wound up feeling really icky for me. Um, And I think for some folks, it it maybe works better, but I'm someone who I change a lot. Growth is 100% the thing that I value above all else. And I tend to be, you know, what I think of as someone who has oscillating obsessions. I'm really into something, you know, for whatever period of time and go all in. I get what I want from it. And then I'm ready to move on to the next thing. And I always saw that as a bad thing, especially Mm -hmm. with work. And so sort of through this whole process, I was like, okay, I need to set up a business model for myself where, uh, you know, I can be running or not running. I can be into hiking or not hiking. I can be vegan or not vegan, right? That I can live my life and not have that impact the, the bottom line. So when I started my podcast, Real Talk Radio, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about sort of the origin story. I I was very sure that I wanted a clear boundary line between the product, like i.e. the podcast episodes themselves and my personal life and choices. So because it's a show that's based in honest conversations, obviously like my life and choices come into play, right, in the conversations. But I haven't promised anyone anything other than my guests and I are going to tell the truth about our life, right? So I can host a podcast, like I said, whether I'm running or not running, hiking or not hiking, you know, which for me is the key to longevity with this. Like I've been doing this show for I think a little over three and a half years, which for me is a long lifespan for a project. And that is 100% something that I attribute to like giving myself the freedom to grow and change. So it's always an interesting sort of distinction that I like to make with this idea of lifestyle business. Cause I'm aware obviously that my life is part of the brand and also I can change and I have the freedom to do that without losing my business, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And I can very much relate to the oscillating interests. <laughs> um, I shared I th- just earlier this week on Instagram that I often think of myself as being very flaky. And I think that I'm often afraid of people thinking that I'm flaky, but you know, I have very have a very similar personality to yours where I go all in on whatever I'm interested in at the time. And those things change. They evolve. I grow. I discover new pursuits. Um, and I really love how you uh, described your need for a business model that allowed you to live your life and pursue that change without it affecting your livelihood. And the your podcast makes perfect sense in that context. And, and again, from my perspective as well and my experience, the podcast has very much allowed me to do 
something similar, even if, even if, okay, yes, I'm talking about people's businesses and you're talking about all sorts of cool stuff. Um, but it's, I think it's a pretty similar, for me, it's a similar outlet in that way. I can talk to the people I want to talk to. I can talk about the subjects that I want to talk to, depending on what I'm interested in business-wise at that time and what I think my audience really needs to hear. So let's talk about the podcast. Um, what prompted you or what gave you the idea or when did you wake up and say, I need to start a podcast? How did Real Talk Radio get started? Yeah. So I had um, that, I guess what I'll call a coaching business, right? Because that's the easiest bucket, I think, for it to fall into um, for some years. And when I got to the point that I was mentioning before of kind of feeling really caged in, feeling like, you know, I can't really grow with this. It's time to put this down. Um, I wound, this was in 2015. Yeah, I think spring of 2015. I was just feeling, you know, pretty exhausted, pretty burnt out. And then on like a personal side, I was really feeling equally exhausted with, um, like self-help or like the world of capital S self-help, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, uh, felt like a recovering, you know, self-help junkie essentially. And all of that kind of converged at the same time. And I was like, I need a break. And so I wound up, you know, doing what I had to do to wrap up my existing business. And I took, I think what was about like a three month sabbatical and sidebar here, because I mean, obviously we're going to be talking about money and funding models and stuff. And I love talking about money that I think this is the type of stuff that sounds nice. Like, oh, and then I just took three months off. Right. But I was able to do that because my partner, earned more money than I did, right? Enough to support us both. And obviously that's a huge privilege. And I think anytime we talk about starting businesses or side hustles or any of this type of stuff, like money has to come from somewhere, right? It's either savings or a credit card or a family or a partnership, right? And I know I, I bump up against a lot of the, you know, quit your day job, leap and the net will appear, follow your passion type stuff that isn't like also taking into consideration like, okay, but what about health insurance, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Like those types of things. Um, And so, you know, this was obviously a conversation that my husband and I had of, hey, I'm going to want to take a break from this business. And he obviously saw how I was feeling and, you know, all of that, take a sabbatical and figure out what's next, which was incredible. And that was, you know, it was, it was great. It was great for my mental health. And you'll find out what happens after Nicole's sabbatical in just a minute. But first... If you value the candid conversations we have here on the podcast about the ups and downs and ins and outs of small business, you'll love the What Works Network. The network is open to new members through Wednesday, March 20th. And when you join today, you'll be just in time for our next virtual conference on spring cleaning your business. You're going to hear from Kyla Roma on streamlining your business model, as well as Ashley Gartland on making the most of the time you have. You're also going to hear from Andrea Jones, who will share how to clean up your social media workload and get more bang for your buck with the time you spend on platforms like Instagram and Facebook. Here's why Andrea is a member of What Works. I love being a part of the What Works community because I'm talking and connecting with real business owners. We're not talking about the shiny objects of vacations and cars and houses. We're talking about the real challenges of running a business and how to have real solutions to those challenges. That's what I love most about the What Works community. Now, the best part of our virtual conferences is that you have the chance to join the conversation, ask questions, chat with other members, and help shape the learning to your exact needs. To attend, you have to be a member. So join us inside the What Works Network by going to explorewhatworks.com slash network. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. 
Now, the way most small businesses are run is a mess. Your content is spread out over a bunch of different platforms. Your products live somewhere else entirely. Your community hangs out in a different space and your payment processor, well, that's yet another tool. Starting a mighty network can change all that. Mighty Networks makes it easy to bring your content, products, community, events, and payment processing all together. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We share exclusive content, interact with members using questions and polls, host events like our upcoming virtual conference, and accept membership fees. Mighty Network has made our whole business tidier. Start cleaning up your business and systems by starting your Mighty Network today. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. You know, that Real Talk Radio was really born out of that time off. And starting a podcast was something that I had thought about for at least a year before I did it. And I was really hesitant for a lot of the reasons that we've already talked about. You know, is this going to be something that I like for a couple of months and then wound up not liking? How can I make sure that I'm not just beginning the same cycle over again where I'm excited about an idea that winds up not having staying power? So being able to give myself space to ask some of those tough questions, like what would need to be true in order for me to feel differently about this project, right? And to dig into that kind of stuff, was crucial, I think, for doing it the way that I did it. Um, But really, the show started as a personal longing. It was the podcast that I wanted to hear but couldn't find. I wanted real, honest, deep, long conversations that weren't topic-specific. There were a lot of shows that I loved that focused on a specific genre or niche, Mm -hmm. which I think obviously makes a lot of sense. But I wanted to talk about, you know, work, money, sex, friendship, aging, death, grief, racism. Like I wanted to talk about everything and, um, you know, just hear people be honest in a way that wasn't advice giving, especially while they're going through something like, here's what's true for me, shrug, don't know what's going to happen with this. I think there's just something really refreshing in that. Um, And so that's really what I wanted. And so when I decided to start the show, um, I was really intentional about how I went about the new thing. So I didn't wind up feeling trapped, right? Like in an identity cage then, you know, like the way that I was before. So a lot of it was an idea that had been brewing, you know, for about a year. And then me saying, okay, I want to do this. What am I going to do differently? Right. And one of the main things was that I very publicly treated it like an experiment. You know, I said, okay, I'm going to do one season of this show and let's see how it goes. If I love doing it, if, you know, listeners love it, then I will keep going with it. But I think the truth is that we never know how we're going to feel about a new thing until we do that thing. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you can research as much as possible and think that something's the right fit for you, but I had never recorded a podcast before, right? I had never worked in this medium before. And so it was, you know, a real question mark. And so I wanted to give myself the freedom to try, to experiment. I think sometimes I hesitate starting new things because I think, well, if I do this, then I have to do this forever, (laughs) you know? And maybe sometimes that's true, but I think a lot of times it's not. And so um, treating it like an experiment and being really public about that was what kind of finally gave me the nudge to, hey, let's just try this and see what happens. I love that. How's the podcast evolved over the time that you've been doing it? Because you have, you've been doing it for a while now. I'm sure things have changed. Do you mean in terms of like topics and guests or like the behind the scenes structure? Um, yeah, I think more on the guests and topics, but also I, I think you have a pretty unusual way of structuring the podcast as well. Like we release an, an episode every week and you do more of the season 
you know, season kind of drop. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was another thing when I was um, deciding how I wanted to do this new project. And really, I mean, the questions I was asking myself before I started the show, like I said, is what needs to be true for me to feel awesome about this, which is in general my favorite reflection question. Um, It's also my favorite question to ask someone else in sort of a compromised negotiation thing, right? What would have to be true for you to feel awesome about this? Um, And so not having it be based specifically on my life and identity, that was, you know, really important. Being able to treat it like an experiment, that was really important. And then also honoring my work style. So I'm someone who is more of a batch worker. I have a really hard time switching tasks, especially creative tasks. Like I like to be really immersed in something and then either take a break or switch gears into a different project. Obviously, as a business owner, that's not always right. There's like lots of admin stuff. There's stuff that comes up all day long. But as far as the creation side of things goes, I like to record a lot in a relatively short period of time and then take a break, Mm -hmm. you know, for a month or a month and a half or so, and then go back into it. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I also was asking myself who I am as a consumer, because if I really was at the beginning, scratching a personal itch, these are conversations that I wish existed or that I really want to have. I tried to be honest with myself about what I loved and didn't love about podcasts that I listened to. Cause I had been a huge consumer of podcasts, um, you know, for years before I started one. And one of the things this might sound incredibly silly, but just to get specific, um, shows, cause most shows do release every week and algorithmically from what I've come to understand about, you know, Apple podcasts and stuff that actually is better <laughs> for the show in terms of how it shows up than the way that I do it, where I release an entire eight episode season all at once, essentially like every other month. Um, but I, especially when I would get busy, shows that I loved that released every week or twice a week, they would just like keep stacking up these podcasts that I hadn't listened to. This is maybe a very like particular first world type of stress. Of, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm never going to get caught up on these things versus how I felt about Netflix uh-huh. shows where they would release an entire season all at once. And even if it's technically the same amount of episodes, because for me to release eight episodes essentially every other month, it is the same quantity as every, you know, one a week <laughs> basically. But there was just something that I found like, okay, here's the 13 episodes of this show on Netflix. Now I can binge consume it if I want to, which is definitely also my style, or I can drag it out. But like, I know what the total amount is. As I'm saying this, I realize this sounds probably incredibly silly, but <laughs> I love it. I I thought, okay, this is the way that I like to consume things. I like the opportunity to like binge consume things if I want to. And so why don't I just make a show that way? And so a lot of it, the decisions at the beginning, they ne- they weren't necessarily the best from like a business standpoint, but they were things that I felt like would contribute to potential longevity because they were honoring the way that I like to work. And obviously when you're when you work for yourself, that's I think part of the benefit is being able to ask yourself some of those questions of, okay, well, if I'm only going to follow somebody else's rules, I might as well just go work for somebody Mm -hmm. else. So I really tried to use it as an opportunity because I was starting from scratch with this of how can I, from the beginning, try to set this up in a way that's going to work for me personally. That makes a ton of sense. And I think to to your point about longevity, you know, you can make all the business decisions, the right, quote unquote, right business decisions or the the decisions that are best for the business or best for distribution or best for listenership. But if those things are then acting against your opportunity for longevity, longevity always pays out in the end, right? If you can stay in business, you're going to be better off than going out of business um, because things aren't working. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's going to be a really helpful thing for a lot of other people to hear as well. 
Okay, so you were essentially kind of restarting a business in the form of this podcast, which means you needed to get paid. So when and how did you decide to pursue Patreon as a way of funding this work? Yeah, so um, there was no monetization at all for the first two seasons of the show, which again is an option that came from the fact that it didn't need to earn mm-hmm. money right away. So I mean, and I, I feel like I kind of sometimes sound like a broken record, record talking about that, but I do think it's really easy to look at what somebody's doing on Instagram or look at their especially creative businesses, right? Or things where like physical products aren't being sold and to think like, oh, well, that must be nice, but I couldn't do that because reasons. And like those reasons are very real, right? And so being able to talk about like this was an option, not to say I couldn't have started a podcast and made it successful while working full time or while doing like uh, there's lots of different people that do all kinds of, you know, different setups. It's just for me, the way that I made this work, like these decisions were possible because of my circumstances. So just want to kind of underscore that. Um, But yeah, there was no monetization at all for the first two seasons, Um, mostly, again, because it was an experiment and I was interested in paying attention to the content and seeing how listeners felt and is this a viable thing going forward. And once I decided, yep, this is something that I love and that people are really responding to, like you said, okay, money needs to come into it. The first real... um, consideration for that is that I didn't know how to or want to learn how to do the audio (laughs) editing, especially with such a long show. That's not my expertise. It brings me no joy to try to figure that out. And so needing to be able to hire someone, um, which I wanted from the very beginning, meant needing funding. So for the first couple of seasons, I just paid for that myself, essentially. like It was like an investment in the business, right? Um, Paid for that out of savings. And so being able to pay Adam, my sound engineer, was hugely important (laughs) to me going forward and not to continually have to pay that out of pocket, right? And to get clear with myself of, is this a hobby or is this a business? And it is something that I enjoy and also is not a hobby, Mm -hmm. right? So, okay, yeah, I need to make money. And so as I started looking into it, I saw, and just, you know, from podcasts I was listening to, the way I understood it, podcast monetization seemed to fall into two camps. The first being advertising or sponsorship, right? Where, you know, the ads play at the beginning or the middle or whatever of the show, as most people are familiar with, or Two, the podcast exists as, you know, a marketing and content arm of an existing business, right? So if someone is a coach, right, and they have a podcast and the hope being that listeners become clients, right, or that type of thing. But since I wasn't going to do that, right, I wasn't using the podcast as a way to like as an arm of an existing thing. So that was off the table. So basically what I was looking at was advertising and that was what most people did. And that makes sense, right? Like people have to pay their bills <laughs> and like advertising is an easy, not easy necessarily, but is a pretty clear way to do that. Um, and so I tried that for two seasons. Um, the first was more of an affiliate partnership with Audible. I don't know if they're still doing that, but I know that they were doing that with podcasters. And then the second was with a local company here in Bend that I love called Picky Bars. It's an energy bar company that I eat like every single day. So that felt like a good match. And even though those are both like products and services that I really use and love, from the beginning, the advertising model just didn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I hesitate to talk about this because I think when we have strong personal preferences that it can somehow or sometimes come across as a condemnation, right? I'm not saying people shouldn't do advertising or anything like that. Like everyone has to choose what works best for themselves in their life and their business. But for me, it felt a little bit like okay, I'm creating this show. My listeners are the commodity and I'm selling their attention to corporate sponsors with the hopes that that's going to convert into them buying stuff so that then I can get more sponsors to 
to like pay me for the show. And I don't know, it just didn't, it didn't feel in alignment with the message of the show. Um, and I think potentially that would have been different if I had a genre or a topic specific mm. show where it would be really easy to partner with like a brand that I loved that was doing really great work in that space. But because my listenership, as far as their interests go, is so diverse, I think I would have had a really hard time finding something that felt in alignment for me with something that I actually used and loved, which was absolutely a criteria for average advertising. Um, and that was like applicable to my audience. Um, and then I also was bumping a little bit on, I mentioned before being kind of exhausted by self-help. And I think that there is a lot in the advertising model that's sort of rooted in a selling people things to fix themselves and, or to make themselves better. And I don't know, like I really wanted my show to be something where no one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. No one's here to sell you anything. And that just seemed like it didn't vibe well with having advertising. Um, and I think that advertising and marketing can absolutely be done from a place of enoughness, right? Like I'm a business owner too. So like th this is all more complicated, right? Than like a 20 second soundbite. But I, I was just really aware of not wanting my audience to feel at all, like I'm trying to sell them something because they're not enough the way that they are. And, you know, I noticed how I would respond as a listener listening to ads on other shows, right? Like if I'm listening to a show that I love and there's this whole ad about, I don't know, this like fancy mascara or something, it's not necessarily that I'd be like, oh my God, my eyelashes aren't enough as they are. <laughs> you know, but kind mm -hmm. of that stuff like does seep in, I think. Um, and then I would also find, and this was just for me personally being someone who's sober, you know, if I would listen to a show that I love that felt like really empowering for women and then they would have like a wine club sponsor as their advertising thing and I would immediately be like, ooh, this isn't for me or like it would disconnect me from the content and maybe I'm thinking about it more carefully than other people do because I'm a producer of this medium but there were just sort of too many little red flags and so I thought, okay, if advertising for me doesn't feel good and is off the table, what am I left with? Well, I'm left with a listener-funded show essentially and um, that's where Patreon came into play. Um, I love the direct to creator funding model. I love the fact that my listeners are the ones who are enjoying the show and that therefore they're the ones who are paying into the production of it. Obviously the show is and always will be free, but it's a way for people who have the means to support, right, at a couple of different option levels. Um, has, it just felt really good for me. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's why I decided to go the Patreon route. And, you know, we can talk about the growth of that and, you know, kind of the uphill battle of this funding model, which sometimes is, is how I feel. But it felt like this, again, with longevity, this is a decision and this is a funding model that feels completely in integrity with what I want to build. And that's the thing that's going to make me continue to be excited to do it. And also, I love that Patreon and this model allows me to have a more honest public conversation about mm -hmm. money, specifically the link between money and creative work. Um, this came into play a lot. So I started the show in August of 2015. And towards the end of 2016, I set a funding goal because Patreon lets you set um, public like public facing funding goals. And I set a funding goal that was basically like, this is the amount that we need to reach in order for the show to continue. And that felt like a really big step and a big risk for me because in order to get to the point where I put that goal up, I had to be willing to walk away. Yeah. And from this thing that I love, right? But it really forced me into the really having the conversation of a lot of, you know, if you do what you love, it's never going to feel like work. And like all of that stuff, I feel like it's too simple, right? Like it's true and like it's true and I can't pay my mortgage with the fact that I love to do this, right? Like I can't pay my sound engineer in like happy emails that I get from listeners, right? So it was like really 
having to dig into that and to say like, this is what this takes. If folks love this and want to fund it, cool. We'll keep doing it. If not, I'll move on and do something else. And that felt really scary because it meant having this conversation publicly and sort of breaking the, you know, kind of the seal that we don't want to talk about money and creative work. And part of it for me was being able to have the conversation like with listeners of, well, we wouldn't walk into Starbucks and just take a latte without paying for it. I'm not going to like walk into the gap and just take a sweater. And yet we consume high quality creative content blogs, podcasts, YouTube videos, tutorials, things that people put so much time and effort and energy and expertise into all the time. And we assume that this work should be free. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't, right? Like obviously accessibility is incredible and my show is still free, but it's been really awesome being able to have the conversation of like my beliefs around money, which is the way that we spend money is a real-time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. I think that that's really real. And so being able to say like, if this show makes you laugh and think and feel less alone, like awesome, cool, join the community. And I was obviously pleasantly surprised by the fact that a lot of people thought, oh, huh, yeah, I do love this. I'm going to pay you for this work that I love. And it just like started a lot of really good conversations. Um, and yeah, so it wound up being good, I think, on a couple of levels, feeling in integrity and also being able to have this more open conversation about money has been great. Yeah, I love that. And I do really want to dig into the nitty gritty on this because that's what we're all about. And I'm really eager to hear some of these details. So let's just start off um, by how you decided to set your Patreon up in the first place. How did you decide on the tiers that you had? How did you decide on the prices for those tiers and the rewards that that went into them. Yeah. So, uh, and it's funny, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking, shoot, I probably should have like researched what's new with Patreon or because I'm sure they have plenty of tools and things that I don't take advantage of. But obviously, you're just asking about my experience. So when I first set up my Patreon, and I believe this is the same way, you essentially have two choices. You can charge your supporters per month or per thing, right? So, you know, every time you release X thing, you charge them, which is the model that I use because I don't do monthly content. Mm -hmm. So because the show is five or six times a year, they basically, they pay every time a new season comes out um, and then they don't get charged the months in between. I think it's more common for people to do a monthly model, Mm -hmm. right? I see a lot of other writers, creators, activists, and stuff just doing more of like an ongoing support to support their work model. But for me, because this is a really tangible, you are paying for this thing, it's when the thing gets charged uh, or gets released that they get charged. Um, And as far as setting the tiers, yeah, so Patreon works in a way where you can set different funding tiers at whatever amounts you want, and you can choose to offer specific rewards to people based on what tier that they're in. You know, and that can be anything from, you know, people give shout outs in the credits of things, or they send stickers, or there's lots of different things. For me personally, when I first started Patreon, um, which I think was around season four of the show, I only did one tier. And this is, again, it's funny, having this conversation with you is making me realize how many of the like quote business principles that I've heard that I didn't follow. Um, <laughs> a lot of what I had heard is that it's uh, best to have three options for pricing with something, like with the idea that a lot of people will sort of self-select into the middle option that, okay, maybe it's not the most expensive one, but it's not the least expensive one. Okay. This middle one feels good. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I'm assuming there's some kind of statistics behind that, but there is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it, I, it was advice that I had heard a lot. And I, one of the things that I promised myself is that everything that I did in this new business, I would do on purpose. I would have a very clear why, and it wouldn't just be to follow the rules and I wouldn't force it. And so at the beginning, I didn't feel like I, had enough 
unique bonuses that I really wanted to create that felt of value to my community to justify having three different funding tiers. So I started with one and I priced it at $8 per eight episode season. That felt really good to me. Essentially, people were contributing a dollar per episode. And so that just, it felt like a number that made sense that felt really easy to talk about, um, you know, in the intro of the show, like, hey, $8 per eight episode season. And some people chose to give more, right? Like you can give more, you can give less and not get, you know, there are some people that give $2 per season and they just don't get the rewards. So it's up to the individual Patreon, patron how much they contribute. But yeah, that's what I decided to do. And I, I had only one funding tier for about a year, um, just with that commitment to not add things, just to add them and really wanting to be intentional. So the bonuses that I chose at the beginning, I mean, at the beginning, it really was sort of a helping with the production costs type of thing, right? So it was like people, you know, listeners coming together to basically help the show continue, right? Which is a lot of what the language was around it. Um, I'm trying to remember what the early, early bonuses were. Um, we have, you know, conversations and stuff in Patreon. So it was some of that. We do a monthly book club. So it was that. Um, and then probably the biggest one was I write a weekly email series called Notes of Grit and Grace. So it's, I mean, you want to talk about like personal sharing your real life in real time. Like that's it. Like as honest as I am on Instagram or on the podcast, like that's the place where it's like, oh, you actually want to know like all the things in a lot of detail. That's where that happens. And that was born out of, like I said, I started personal blogging in 2007, right? So I've always shared, like I, I'm a writer more than I'm a podcaster for sure. Like mm -hmm. podcasting is a great medium, but if, you know, I had to, for the rest of my life, pick one creative outlet, hundred percent, it would be writing. And so those were emails that I, it started as a blog, became a public public email list that I retired the list when I took my sabbatical. And sort of to my surprise, that was the thing that people missed. Like I got so many emails from people that were like, please bring this back. Please bring this back. And so it felt like a really good place to do that. Um, especially given the intimate nature of the sharing, having it be something that's just for the Patreon community, it almost feels like intimacy with people who have earned it a little bit more or who I trust a little bit more because they've been in the community and I get to know them, right? The community isn't so large that I haven't had an interaction with almost every single person in it, which feels good. So yeah, the, those were the couple of the book club, um, you know, chance to shape the future of the show, to contribute the sort of rapid fire questions that happen at the end of the episodes and access to the email list. Those were the initial rewards. Gotcha. And can you run down what your tiers and bonuses are now. You don't have to tell us everything, but just kind of give us an idea. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so that was for the first year. And then um, in 2018, I added a $16 tier and a $25 tier. And each of those had additional bonuses. So um, the main one for, at the $16 tier, um, there's a good friend of mine named Julia Hanlon. She used to host a show called Running on Ohm. And she and I collaborated on a series called Real Talk Reflections, where we would do an end of month episode on her podcast that was, again, very like what went well for you this month, what didn't, you know, what are you lessons learned, struggling, that type of stuff that was really popular. And when she stopped doing her show, um, people missed that a lot. And so we wound up essentially, we do that series in that level and there's other stuff mm. too, but that's the main thing. And then, um, at the $25 level, we do live Google Hangouts about three ish weeks after the release of each season of the show. So we can talk about literally anything. I mean, it, it honestly winds up feeling like, oh, I'm having these awesome people over to hang out in my living room, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, we can talk about stuff that came up on the show. We can just talk about our lives, get to know each other. You know, it's where I do Q&A, that type of stuff. So again, there's multiple things the in there. But, um, you know, when I added two other tiers, I wanted to have like really clear um, things to put in them. And just two more things, I guess, to add about that. So going into 2019, obviously we're at the beginning of the year right now. Um, 
there were, I was on the fence about whether to add additional funding tiers or to add additional bonuses to the existing tiers. And this was another gut check of, I could have a higher price tier, but I just didn't really want to. I wanted mm-hmm. to keep it more accessible. I know that, you know, eight to $25 every other month isn't accessible for everyone, but I think it's accessible for a lot of folks. And so I decided instead to add additional bonuses, like one additional bonus to every tier instead of adding a higher tier again, just because that felt better for me. Um, and it's funny that we're having like a conversation about the business side of the podcast. Cause the bonus that I added to the $25 tier was I do monthly, like with actual dollar amounts, like complete breakdown of the financial side of what's going on with the business. Um, so that just started and that's been really fun. So, and something that people are interested in. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that you do that. Um, what's the breakdown in terms of your patrons, how they fall into each of the tiers? Like, is it even, I'm assuming it's not even a third, a third, a third, but can you tell us like what percentages of your audience are, of your patrons are subscribed to each tier? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes the way that you would assume, right? The vast majority of people are at the $8 tier, right? And then like the second largest group of people is at the $16 tier. And then I think there's mm, 50-ish people at the $25 tier. Um, And that, I haven't capped that yet, but, you know, because of the, I only want like five or six people on the each Google Hangout, right? Mm -hmm. That like the more people that get added, the more Hangouts that I then wind up hosting, which again, is fine. I love doing it. The people are great. Um, But, you know, that's, that level isn't as scalable, right? Like I think there would be a point where I would potentially cap it um, just because, you know, whereas like at the $8 level, like more and more people can add and it isn't more work for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas at that level, that's not the case. So yeah, definitely the bulk of people are at the $8 level. And then, you know, I'd say, again, I haven't pulled this up in, you know, I guess a couple of months, but you know, a hundred something people are at the $16 level. And then, you know, like I said, like 50, 60 ish people are at the top level. Okay. That's super helpful. Thank you. Um, what are you finding works best or what's working best for you right now when it comes to actually turning podcast listeners, Instagram followers into people who are supporting the work financially? I think, and this maybe just like falls into who I am as a person or what the brand is, just like talking about it, honestly, really, I think is what helps, right? Like it's not just having conversations like this, right? And like, this is the type of stuff I talk about on the show. Like I talk about in the intro, like talking honestly about the why behind the funding model, right? Sharing a peek at the various bonuses, you know? And one of the things that I started doing um, quite a few seasons ago, again, totally as a selfish thing, I wanted to get to know the people in the community better. And so I started doing outros at the end of the show where I would have a community member basically join me for like a 10 minute conversation. And we do kind of like rapid fire, get to know you type questions. And then I give them a chance to say why they decided to support the show and what they like best about being in the community. And not surprisingly, that has converted a lot of people, right? Like the social proof of that uh, has been great. But for me, it was like, oh, all these folks know so much about me and I don't know that much about them. Like, please come talk to me, you know, for 10 or 20 minutes on the phone. And so again, like, scratching the personal itch of that has been really great and has helped a lot with the community. Um, On Instagram specifically, I share excerpts from my Friday emails, the notes of grit and grace that has definitely converted folks. It's been funny. Um, I have had a not insignificant number of people tell me that they don't really listen to podcasts. That's not really their thing. And they subscribe to my Patreon literally just to get the emails. Wow. (laughs) It's just like pretty funny. Um, So I think people have different reasons, right? Like to be there, but that's, I think helps on, on Instagram. But yeah, it's just talking about the funding model. Um, One of the things that I did in 2018, sort of on the financial side, talking about um, like the funding goals, I set a funding goal publicly uh, that 
when it was reached would enable me to pay all of my podcast guests. Uh, again, this goes back to sort of being honest about the kind of world that I want to live in, which is one where people get paid for their time, their energy, their emotional labor. Um, and so being able to pay podcast guests was hugely important to me. And obviously, as you and probably most people listening knows, it's definitely not the norm, right. right, in the podcast industry. So it was something I didn't have to do, but I just... I'm trying to pay attention to the like little intuitive pings like this. It feels better to me to pay people for their time. And especially, you know, as the podcast has moved in a little bit more of a social justice type direction and having a predominantly white, straight, cis audience, having, you know, guests of color come and essentially are educating. And I mean, that's just one example, being able to pay folks for their time. And I pay a higher rate to our guests of color, our queer and trans guests, basically folks with marginalized identities, they get paid more. And that is also something that I talked about pretty publicly. But, you know, for me setting that funding goal, I really thought if this, if this is what I want to see in the world, then it's up to me to model that again, even if it's not the norm. And it's definitely risky because of course, like paying my guests means thousands of dollars each year that I can't pay myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the people who joined the community in 2018, like that money didn't go to me. And so we met the funding goal um, last season of the show right before that. So last season was the first season that all the guests got paid, which Honestly, I can't even tell you how amazing that felt. Like it was, I was so proud of it, like so proud of the community. And there were quite a few folks who said like, I joined because of this, mm -hmm. right? Like I love the idea of, I listened to this episode and this guest's, you know, story changed my life or changed this for me and that they got paid for that time. So that also felt like really good to have a community that wants to do that, that wants to like support creative work in that way um, and support honesty in that way. And it's an interesting place for me to be because I'm not yet earning enough from this small business to entirely live off of. Hopefully that will change in the next, I'd say, one to two years. It will hopefully be there. Um, right now I'm supplementing with savings. Um, and so being, you know, like essentially saying, okay, here's thousands of dollars a year that are going to go towards paying other folks. Even though like financially it might not make sense, it feels worthwhile and necessary for me to like run my business again in a way that like leads to more longevity. And so that was, you know, a big decision that I made last year. Mm. I'm really intrigued by, so first off, I love that you're paying all your podcast guests. It makes a ton of sense to me. Um, it is, it's a little a kind of, I guess, humbling. It, it makes me feel like, oh, how do I feel about that? And I, every time you've talked about it, like on Instagram, I've, I've really, um, it, it has caused me a lot of thinking and even just that thought process, I really appreciate. So kudos to you on that. Um, but I'm also really intrigued by the fact that you, you know, you said some of your Instagram followers are people who aren't really listening to the podcast. They're there for the emails. And it made me wonder whether, and, and I guess I'm looking for both your perspective on this and what you think your audience's perspective is on this. Are you, is your Patreon set up to support you or to support the business? Because clearly you have very real costs when it comes to putting this podcast together, uh, you know, creating this as a business. There are business costs to that. But do you think of this as funding your lifestyle, funding you as a person, even even if it's not 100% there yet? And then how does your audience see that? Do they see that as contributing directly to you or do they see that as paying a business for a product? Yeah, I think it's a good question. It's one that I've thought about especially a lot more recently. And 
again, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning of not wanting to feel like trapped by a true lifestyle business. I definitely, I guess I can't speak for my audience, but there are very clear boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, there are some people that are in the Patreon community because they want to get my emails. But in that regard, it's still a product, right? Like they're paying for the same way that you would buy a book, right? Like you're paying for someone's writing. And so this is the, I I see that as sort of the same. Like they're they're not paying because they like me. I I assume they probably like me as a person in some regard, right? But most of these folks, I don't know them, right? Like they're paying because they like the thing, right? Whether it's the writing they're paying for, it's the podcast they're paying for, it's, or maybe there's some folks that like these ideas and maybe they don't keep up with the podcast in real time, but they want to support this type of work in the world. I've heard that too, that people are like, yeah, I want more, you know, women owned small businesses that are focused on like honest conversations that aren't, you know, at all tied into corporate sponsor. There are people that I think like the values of what I'm doing, that that resonates with them. Um, but yeah, for like, it is very clear that this is a business. There is a product, you know, or there are a couple products. There's some people maybe that what they want are the other bonuses and not as much the main podcast, like, but everyone's paying for some specific tangible thing. And again, that's the only way that it wouldn't make me feel like really bananas about it. Because I think if it started to feel like I had a Patreon that was just kind of like a blanket funding for the things that I do, that's when I get into sort of imposter syndrome type, like, oh my God, am I doing enough for Mm -hmm. this? Or like, you know, I have to perform for them, right? Um, Or, you know, oh, I have to only post these types of things on Instagram. Like it it starts to feel like a cage and that's just, it's not good for my mental health, to be honest. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess people support for all number of different reasons, but yeah, it is very clearly, this is my business and this is just the funding model that I have chosen for the business. But there's other things too, right? Like the podcast is the main thing, but I host live events. I started doing that in 2017. So, you know, it's a four hour afternoon long, it's called Real Talk Live, where basically the first half of it, I interview a past guest live in front of the group, not recorded. So it's essentially just like an intimate conversation. And then the second half of the event is essentially writing and sharing prompts that get people having this sort of like honest conversation, like real talk in real time. And so that's been awesome doing those. And then this year, I just, um, a couple weeks ago, actually, I just hosted my first uh, retreat, multi-day Real Talk retreat, which is similar principles um, with a kind of reflection and goal setting bent to it, because that's something that's been you know an obsession and something that I've taught for years in different capacities. So there are other like monetization arms of the business too that I'm looking to build, but they're based on sort of the same principles as what I bring to the podcast, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think it's, I really value your perspective on that too, because there are definitely times when I have gotten a bad taste for Patreon, because what I hear is pay for my lifestyle or pay, you know, pay me to live. Um, and what I hear from you is a very different approach, a much more intentional, much more strategic and business oriented approach to using this as a revenue model for a business, as opposed to a income stream for an individual person. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction. And I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you've talked us through that in terms of this particular opportunity for, for funding creative work, as you put it. Um, I will, we need to start wrapping things up, but it, I would be completely remiss if we had this conversation and I didn't ask you about some of the freaking awesome projects that you are working on right now, specifically um, building out a van uh, to live in. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, this is this is quite a project. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Is there anything in particular that you're curious about? With I it? mean, where do you even start with an idea like that? Um, I, I mean, I think that my my main question is, how do you see these kind of big lifestyle changes fitting into your story and the brand that people are buying into when they buy into the business? Um, and how has that impacted the way you think about that project? Yeah, whew, that's a good question. Let's see. Um, I feel like I could take this in a bunch <laughs> of different directions. Um, I think that... Like I said, I have been sharing parts of myself publicly, right, for more than a decade at this point. And I think folks that have been around, you know, for that entire time or even just a couple of years or even just, you know, recent people, what they catch on to pretty quickly is like, I'm committed to honesty, which doesn't mean you can't have privacy. I think also that's something on the internet that needs a myth that needs to be debunked, but committed to honesty and to trying to live in integrity and live the life that I want to live and just talk about it as I make changes. And so I don't know that people are specifically buying into, you know, oh, she does long distance hiking. So like, you know, I expect her to only do that or, oh, now she's building out a van. So like only that it's more, I think people are interested in just the process of making change, mm -hmm. right? Like my, obviously I said that I'm someone with a lot of obsessions, but really a through line for me is the question of how do we close the gap between what we say we want and what we actually do. And I think that could be true in business. I think that could be true with quitting drinking. It could be true with having kids. It could be true with anything, right? Like how do you close the gap between what you say you want and what you actually do? And that's always of interest to me. And so essentially everything I'm doing in my life is working to close that gap and just talking about the process, not being afraid to be a beginner, not being afraid to be bad at something, not being afraid to talk about when things are hard or scary. And so I think most of the people who connect with my work, they connect with that, right? Which is some more universal themes than specifically like what the activity is. Yeah. So so the van, yeah, this, um, again, I guess could be a podcast episode all um, on its own, but my husband and I are currently going through an uncoupling process, um, loving, mutual, amicable, but still painful, yeah. right, as you might imagine. And so um, one of the things that I have wanted is a more nomadic lifestyle and part of choosing to release the podcast in seasons and give myself breaks in between is so I can go on a hike for, you know, a month or so or potentially travel more, live on the road, um, do more live events, right? And like being mobile is really helpful, I think, for the type of business that I want to build, at least in the next few years. And I have friends that have done, you know, various versions of van life, right? Lived in vehicles. I'm certainly not the first person to do that, right? There's check the van life hashtag on Instagram, right? There's like literally millions of posts. Um, and so it's just been something in the back of my head of, huh, I think that I would like to try this. So on one hand, I'm excited about it because of the adventure and because it's going to let me go to a lot more cities more affordably, right? To do live events, to meet community members, but also complete real talk. It's a lot more affordable, mm -hmm. right? Like I said, this business doesn't earn, you know, full-time income yet for me. And so having a van that is paid off and not having to pay rent or a mortgage or a lot of those expenses, like it's a hell of a lot cheaper. So a lot of the decision too was financial. It's a really good way for me to save money in the interim. And so there's, yeah, a lot of reasons behind it. And I am a complete beginner to doing this. I had literally never used tools like other than maybe a hammer once to like put something up in my college dorm room, right? Um, I had never used tools in my life before starting this project. So that also, I guess, tends to be my thing of like, well, I'll just figure it out and I have no problem asking for help. And I have friends and, you know, my 
partner Paul, or I guess soon to be not partner. I don't know. It's a whole weird terminology thing, but has been incredibly helpful. And, you know, we have friends that have been super helpful. So I certainly couldn't be doing this project alone, but yeah, I'm documenting the van build on Instagram, um, which, you know, folks have seemed interested in and yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I'll be moving into the van full time in May. So I'll be on a 700 mile hike mid March through the end of April. And then I will be living in the van starting in May. So I have no idea what it's going to be like, but <laughs> I can let you know <laughs> by the end of May, my first month. Yeah. Well, I am just loving watching the transformation, but I'm also, I loved the way you put, um, that there's a through line of your, in your work of helping people navigate change and also closing that gap between what we say we want and what we actually do. And I think that really understanding that through line and understanding it as your, as your value proposition, your brand, the contribution that you're making to the world allows you to take on those different kinds of projects that satisfies a personality like yours or a personality like mine, um, without, without kind of losing the pers- without losing the interest of of the people who care about us and losing um our ability to continue outputting that work it all becomes part of the work and i, I just think this conversation has been um a really great example of exactly that. So Nicole Antoinette, thank you so much for shedding light both on Patreon and the incredibly intentional and strategic way you think about the work that you do. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Find out more about Nicole Antoinette at NicoleAntoinette.com. Plus check out Real Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Now, if you love candid conversations with small business owners about what's really working to run and grow their businesses, check out over 180 more episodes of What Works at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>